are all born to be remarkable. And yet, every one of us is shaped by patterns handed down by our ancestors. Invisible, multi-generational patterns of decisions, thoughts, feelings, actions, inactions, reactions, and choices that limit our responses to events and influence every decision of our lives, unconsciously running the show. Today, we're going to challenge the idea that we are helpless victims based on our histories and learn ways to be pattern breakers, to make new choices and rewire our brains, allowing us to transform and rise up and to step into the very best version of ourselves. Hello and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Show. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm the founder of The Silver Edge and our mission is to help you build and maintain a lean, healthy body that you love for the rest of your life so that you can show up in the second half of your life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. We have a great show for you today. Judy Wilkins-Smith is here and she's going to help us decode our emotional DNA in order to live our best, most fulfilling lives. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by The Silver Edge. The Silver Edge is my online nutrition, exercise, and lifestyle coaching business catering to those of you over 50 who aren't ready to give up and buy into the common narrative of it's all downhill from here. At The Silver Edge, we take a health-first approach to working with our clients to help them build lean, strong, vital bodies that last. Look, there's no shortage of lose weight quick coaches and programs in the world, but here's the deal. You can either lose weight quickly or permanently. If you're tired of losing and gaining the same weight over and over again, if you're tired of constantly dieting, if you have a poor relationship with food, exercise, and your body, then I invite you to book a call and see if our services are a perfect fit for you. The easiest way to do this is to head over to silveredgefitness.com and click on the coaching tab, or just shoot me an email at coach at silveredgefitness.com. Okay, enough of that. Let's get on with today's show. My guest today is Judy Wilkins-Smith. Judy is a highly regarded organizational, individual, and family patterns expert. She's a systemic executive coach, trainer, facilitator, thought partner, and leadership conference and motivational speaker. She has 18 years of experience in assisting high-performance individuals, Fortune 500 executives, and legacy families to end limiting cycles and reframe challenges into lasting breakthroughs and peak performance. She's the author of the new book, Decoding Your Emotional Blueprint, a powerful guide to transformation through disentangling multi-generational patterns. I started our interview today by asking Judy how she became an expert in decoding our emotional DNA. My father was actually killed here in Texas. And it was a case of either write books or go crazy. And I figured that writing books was probably the better option. And I was doing research for one of my books and stumbled into this. And the person who was doing it at the time, or a similar version, said, come learn my work and I'll help you with a book. So I went and learned the work, got zero help with the book, just saying. And then discovered about four years into it, somebody said to me, well, of course you'll be good at it. And I went, why? And they said, because it started in South Africa with a Zulu tribe. 
And for me, that was a very full circle moment because my background is actually in the healthcare arena. And uh, when I had my farewell, the gentleman who gave it was a Zulu gentleman. And he said to me, you may be leaving us, but you'll find a way to represent us in the world. And I laughed. And yeah, I do it every day. So Ed, when you say you do it every day, what specifically is it? Okay, it. So there are two it's. The one it that I do every day is I'm a systemic executive coach. So I work with CEOs, C-suite in the very big Fortune 50 and Fortune 500 companies. And the reason I, I say systemic executive coaching is I use systemic work in constellations. So if I go into one of the big companies, I also will do things like what we call dimensionalizing an issue. That's the constellation. We look at the whole system, not just portions of it, and we use a constellation. Now, constellation means I'm going to ask the person, I'm going to sit down with the client, we're going to discuss the issue and identify all the elements or all the parts of that issue. And then we either, if I'm at doing a live event, I will use live representatives. Or if it's in an office, we get computer paper and you turn it into a directional marker. So now you can literally see on the floor, you can see the parts of the issue. And because you can see it and hear it and touch it and walk in it, you're engaging more senses than trying to work it out here. Added to which you can see the connections and the disconnections and the opportunities and the obstacles. So it makes it a very 3D experience for people. And instead of trying to problem solve over weeks, months, and years, it literally happens within a couple of hours. Okay. So that's a pretty heady concept, this idea that we're going to use this constellation concept. We're going to dimensionalize our right. problems. I mean, we're going to lay it out in 3D and potentially move the, the objects around, move ourselves around the object, right? right? And now you're you're saying this in a executive or business setting, but I believe that this also has application for us as individuals. Is that totally, fair? totally does because those are my live events. I work one on one with people, but I do a number of live events where you would come in and say, "I have an issue with anger. I have an issue with health. I have an issue with money. I have an issue with relationships," and we do exactly the same. And the piece that is even stranger is that as I choose those representatives, then I will say to the person, give me a picture of what it's like for you. And they'll position them the way it is. Now, it's not psychodrama. What happens is people very quickly start to key into the system. And that's a concept that has not been taught. So there are two pieces of that. First of all, you're literally making the invisible visible. So that's an eye opener. And you're making the unconscious conscious. Because what I then do is we start to look at this from a multi-generational or multi-event point of view. So it may be something that's happened in your own life a number of times, in which case we'd look at it that way. Or you might tell me, my mother had it, my father had it, my, you know, it goes back generations, in which case we will look at the multi-generational pattern. Because we don't just inherit physical DNA. We also inherit emotional DNA, our patterns of thoughts, feelings, actions. And this is something that's now being beautifully well-studied with epigenetics. It was studied in the Great Dutch Hunger Winter. It was studied over 9-11. And noticing how our thoughts, feelings, and actions around an event trigger a response and then trigger your on-off switches for your epigenetic codes. 
And that, of course, affects your genetic code. Okay. There's a lot of good stuff I really want to dive into here. Let's start with, you'd mentioned emotional DNA. And I I want to start there and talk a little bit about, I I think that we all understand how we inherit, say, your eye color or certain physical attributes. But you're saying that generationally, we can inherit some of these emotional things, whether good or bad, I suppose. Talk to us a a little bit about how and and, and why. Okay. So the the how of it is, there are two ways. The how of it is epigenetically, the way I just explained, where there's a significant emotional response that then creates an impact on the, the genes and the gene expression, and it switches on and switches off. So this has been well studied, but there are other ways and you know them. Every single day you say, I open my mouth and out comes my father. So you've got dad sayings, grandpa's sayings, great-grandfather's saying, but you've also got your feelings, dad's feelings, grandfather's feelings, great-grandfather's feelings, and their actions. And those are all cascading down to you, either good, very strong ones, or difficult ones. Now, the strong ones you really want to build on, the difficult ones are where a lot of the gold sits. Because we think, you know what? This is just going to happen to me. I'll have diabetes like my my father did, or I'll have a heart attack like he did. Not so fast. If we look at the language and we look at the event, we can then go back and say, that belonged to them. Here's what happened then. Right now, you have more opportunities and differences to start speaking a different language, which then begins to say to your brain, hey, I don't have to be unhealthy. I can do this, this, and this. I can exercise. They couldn't. I can eat differently. They couldn't. And now you're programming it so that your kids start going, well, dad's exercising. He's he's happy with his money situation. He talks about being happy. This is who we are. And so again, both, both through word of mouth and epigenetically, they're getting a double imprint. And so that wires then into your brain. So now we're, we're wiring in new, beautiful neural pathways, and that becomes the truth. Only in all cases, what we know as the truth is actually our truth, and we can change mm-hmm. it any time we want. Okay, so th- I think that's really fascinating. And I think that people could clearly see how a very traumatic event in their family history could be could be multi-generational, but you're talking about our beliefs and thoughts about money, about our self-worth, about how we show up and how we express ourselves in the world. A lot of that is actually passed down to us. And just like epigenetics says, okay, so I may have a predisposition for diabetes, let's say. That doesn't mean that you're destined to have diabetes. It just means it's that there is more lifestyle factors that are in our control that will cause whether that happens or not. It's not fated to be. And I suppose that same thing then is true for these, this emotional, this emotional DNA, these emotional traits that are passed on. Absolutely. And it can, it can govern the physical. Think about it this way. Mm. You, in, in your family, everybody's depressed. Well, there are a couple of lovely things about that. Seriously. One of them is that if everybody's depressed, your purpose you're a, you are the change agent if you choose. Your purpose is to actually turn that around and say, we're happy, look at the good things, and it's to rewire that piece. And also then, 
If everybody's depressed, you're activating with stress hormones all the time, and that's going to affect your health. So it's, it's an, an and. It's not an either or. It's an and. And the minute you start keying into that and you learn to, to live by the other hormones, the, the love hormones, the oxytocins, all of those, your whole body comes down. Doctors will tell you, psychologists will tell you when you're ill. Often the difference between somebody who does well and somebody who doesn't is the person who has the attitude of, we're doing this. We're going to go for it. I can do this. So they don't add the stresses into the disease. They actually sit in and the body can work with us. I absolutely I love that. that. Yeah, that's very beautifully spoken. And I want to go back to something you said a minute ago when you talked about gold, this gold mine, and it being the problems that we have. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on yes, that? Yes, I really so, do. The, the, yeah. gold, the gold is, you spoke about fated or destined. Fated is right. we accept that's what ha- what, what's happening. Destined is when we look at everybody's been miserable. I have a destiny. I'm the change agent. I'm bringing joy to this family. Watch what I'm doing. That's a destiny. So you don't want to be fated. You certainly want to be destined. And it's it's very practical stuff. You're in, in the book, that Decoding Your Emotional Blueprint, I show people very clearly what we're switching on and what we're switching off and how to do it in practical ways. Um, and of course, then some not, so, uh, not, not practical ways, but people look at me and they go, what now? Because when I work with financial C-suite people, one of the things I make them do is go on a money walk. And they go, you're going to make me do what? Yep, you're going to mm-hmm. go and have a talk to money. Because money is actually a very strong force and energy, but we've learned to interpret it growing up with all of the the religions and ethics. It's either money or love. It's either money or integrity. No, it's not. It's both. But until we bring money into the picture and we give it a place, it stays that either or. And we, we sentence ourselves to an, to an all. Because we want to be integrous. So I have people who come and say, I really, really want to be very wealthy. And I say, okay, talk to me about wealth. And they go, well, you know, it's only liars, cheats, and thieves who are actually wealthy. I mean, they all cheat to get there. And I go, oh, so you're telling me you would like to be a liar, a cheat, and a thief. No. So if you have those thoughts, what else is possible? So it's our thoughts and our language and our actions. Our thoughts and our language and our actions. And I suppose a lot of us have these thoughts in this self-language subconsciously handed down to us by our parents who've got it from their parents, right? This, again, this multi-generational thing. How, what is the work then? What do we do to start this work to, because you're you're talking about, I don't want to be fated. I want to be destined. I want to be a cycle breaker. There's gold in these problems because I can now be an agent change if I recognize it. How does one start that work? Because that sounds like a lot of people that we have this victim sort of victim mentality. How do we break that, identify that and get started on this path? So what you want to do is take an issue that you have and write down all your thoughts, all your feelings, all your actions around that. Then ask yourself, when did that start for me? What was happening in my life at the time? 
And is there a pattern like this elsewhere in the family? Because either you're starting it or you're inheriting it, one or the other. And then it's to say, so that's the pattern that's trying to stop. Then you do the same thing and you write down your thoughts, feelings, and actions as you would like them. What would I really like to have happen here? What would my feeling be? What would my action be? And it's literally, don't, you don't have to write down dozens. One new thought, one new feeling, one new action, that's it. But you spoke about it, or and actually, you spoke about this earlier, I think before we even got on, manifesting. If you wanted to manifest, you are really good at manifesting the nasty stuff because the body can feel it. And the head's going, you stupid, you stupid. And the body's going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, exactly the opposite is quite doable. When you do something, you go, I did that. I'm so excited. You know what? I'd like to do that. And you stretch a little bit. And now you've got the head, heart, gut where the head's saying yes, the heart is saying yes, and the gut is saying yes. You're on your way. Here's my butt. You decide, you know what? I'm going to go and do really well. I'm going to become a millionaire. And immediately, you key in to the multi-generational nervous system and it goes, don't be stupid. We don't do that in our family. Are you crazy? What are you thinking about? That's dangerous. Do you realize you're gambling? And what you've got to do is understand that's the multi-generational voices and system. It's not your thoughts. Those are inherited thoughts and go, okay, stop. I acknowledge you're here. You have a place. You can be my guides. You can tell me what doesn't work, and you can show me what I should be doing that does work, but you don't get to dominate all of this space. And so by writing it down, and in fact, what I'll say to people is write down the butts or where you are and put it at one end of the room. Then write down the way you want to be and put it on the other side of the room. And start walking from one to the other. You'll hear them all start talking to you. And then go back and then ask yourself, what do I need to do to get from this side of the room to that side of the room? And start listening to that. We're taught to trust the multi-generational system, but we grow when we trust our system. Yeah, that's a very empowering thought there. I love the idea of putting all of your limitations physically on one side of the room, writing them down and putting them there. I I saw that in your book as well. And then all your aspirations over here, standing in between them, noticing how you feel in your body. Absolutely. Where is the push and the Yes. Where's the push and pull? Walk back and forth. I thought that was a, a fascinating exercise. And it brings me to another another part in your book where you talk about, and it may be the, the name of a chapter, I think, that you said, we are all magicians and wizards. Yes. And you say, we say, quote, we are truly wizards and magicians. We cast spells every single day with the words we use, yep. the beliefs we hold on to, the thoughts we think, the feelings we feel, and the meanings we make out of the events of our lives. Talk to us a little bit about that kind of magic. Absolutely, because people don't realize how strong words are. They don't. And, and I often have participants who say to me, it's just words or words don't mean that much. And I go, okay, walk into a doctor's office and the doctor says, you're dying. And tell me that's not going to affect you. Now walk into the doctor's office and listen to you're in remission. It immediately makes a difference. 
if you think about people in your life, I had somebody, it's a fascinating piece. I had somebody <clears throat> when I was about eight, somebody cut their hand in the class and I ran to the back because I was going to be a doctor. And she looked at me and she said, you will not be a doctor, sweetheart. You're going to write books and, and work with people's hearts. Tracy is going to be the doctor. And I was indignant. And of course, I went into healthcare and now, of course, into this. Tracy is a physician. How about that? How about that? It's, <laughs> and and it's, it's that other piece of you have two men who have an accident. They're paralyzed from the neck down. One says, my life is over. The other one says, my purpose has just begun. They're both right. Hmm. Watch what you are saying. If you're doing trash talk on yourself, stop. If you're doing transformational talk on yourself, keep doing it. Keep doing it. But don't trash talk. Trash talking makes us really ill. Think about when you have to go to the dentist or go for surgery. You're more afraid of what's going to happen than, than actually happens nine times out of 10. And, and I say to people, they're going to put a needle in your arm. You're going to go to sleep. You're going to wake up. And they're like, ah, yes, but, 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 but. We, I often ask people, do you watch horror movies? Do you? Oh, do I? No. Not me. I either, but not. guess what? Yeah. We tell ourselves horror stories all day sure. long and believe them. If we would start telling ourselves transformational or manifestation stories, think of where we could be. And we can. This is not hocus pocus. This is well-studied self. And if you start applying it, your life is going to change like you cannot believe. No more victim. I absolutely love that. Let's pick a little bit of this apart because I think that this is pretty common, right? That just these people have these routines, these just repeated negative mantras. I'm not good enough. I can't. I'm, I'm this way because of fill in the blank. And it's my mother's happy, fault. Happy if. Right. So it just, and we say things to ourselves very often that we would never, ever in a million years say to anyone, any other human being ever, not even our enemies, really. So we could, we have this vicious, negative self-talk, many of us, and clearly it would be better to have this transformational, aspirational, inspirational self-talk. What advice do you have for somebody to take those first steps out of, okay, I realize I'm, I have this negative self-talk and it's easy to say, okay, we'll just stop doing that and start thinking positive things. What are some exercises or what are some steps we can take to start moving away from that and more into and into alignment with what we're talking so, about. So here. let's go for the very worst, where you're stuck and you don't feel like you have any options at all. You always have options. So you're going to look at the options and say, which one do I pick? You're going to very likely pick the least terminal option, I guess. And what you want to do is say, good, I did that. And start noticing the things that you do right. They may look very small to you. You know, people will say to me, I say to them, what are you good at? Nothing. Really? You know, I'm not good at anything. I'm kind. Kind is huge, people. We could use a whole lot of kind. Mm. I get up in the morning and I smile. My body's aching, but I smile. You smiled. I ache. I'm, I'm in, in pain by one o'clock in the afternoon. I had good time between eight and 12. It's really start building your library differently. And again, it's not all at once. It really isn't. 
And the other one that I, I said to somebody recently, give yourself grace. When you're impatient, don't say, see, I told you you were an idiot. Stop. Give yourself grace. Have a vision. Have a vision for yourself. I do, I do two boards. I do vision boards and done boards. Because I notice that I do a vision board, but then I forget to celebrate what I've done. So now I take it off and I put it on the done board. Now, there's another one that people can use that's super important. If somebody compliments you, for goodness sake, take the compliment. Take compliment do you know yeah. what we do when we don't? Not only do we plot a very skewed graph for ourselves, we're also saying to the other person, you're not good enough to belong in my world. Yep. Hmm. Don't believe you. You're not good enough. You cannot be telling the truth. Stop. If you want a beautiful world, I think Hellinger said it best, happiness takes courage. If you really think you're a courageous being, quit suffering and staying in the suffering because we're all going to hit suffering, but it's what we do with it that counts. If you're truly a courageous human being, start making a difference. Let one guy in in front of you in the car. Smile at somebody who looks like they could use a smile. You never know the difference you're making and you're going to start feeling better. You know, it's not just about having a ton of money, although I will tell you money is one of my favorite subjects. It gets mistreated and I love it, but it's also about having a ton of currency. What do you do? If you're getting in, in, into an Uber and you go, go to the airport, I had one that I will never forget. Got into the, air, uh, into the Uber, drove to the airport, had a conversation with the driver, and he smiled at me and he said to me, oh my goodness, I should pay you for this session. You have no idea. And I laughed and I went off and I came back about a month later. I was busy recording two of my Constellations meditations. And the same guy picked me up. And I thought, gosh, that's interesting. And I got in and he said to me, I have to share something with you. And I said, sure. He said, I had a gun with me. When I dropped you off, I was going to kill myself. You wow. never, you never know the difference you make. So don't underestimate kindness, a smile, caring, picking up a piece. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Things that tell you as a human being, I'm doing things right. There are so many invitations in the world at the moment to not do things right, to hate each other. Stop. All you're doing is hurting yourself. Stop. I would strongly agree with you there on the stop. And I think that going back to what you're just talking about here, I think the reason a lot of us aren't already in this place where we're self-actualized and, and living in a place of joy is it comes back to the self-love. And a lot of us don't feel worthy of accepting. You admit you'd start out by saying, hey, if somebody gives you a compliment, for goodness sakes, accept it. And so often we're, you know, we're, we kind of, we're, for whatever reason, we deflect that or, and it just goes back to, I mean, it's very telling about us, right? But to be open to love, be open to the fact that you're worthy, to be open to the fact that you're deserving. And that could be of anything. You had mentioned money. It could be, yes, I am deserving of, well, if I'm deserving of money, love, I'm health, deserving relationships. of all good things, joy, relationships. Absolutely. I am just being open to that. And I feel like that's what keeps a lot of people stuck sometimes is that they're, again, they have this 
ancestral wiring that limits their self-worth, their self-love, their self-belief. And it's just very difficult sometimes to get out of that rut. But I think that just those things that you're saying, taking these small steps and celebrating wins and reframing can go a long way. Reframing is huge. It's key. I I look at people, I look at all of the all of the the books, the Quran, the, the Bible, the Torah, in all of those, we are taught to suffer well. Really? Mm. For me, that feels like an ancient pattern that's trying very hard to stop. We keep winding into the suffering. I look at, let's let go Christianity. How many people look at the cross versus the miracles? Why? You know, we're told you can do great things and we keep not believing it. And you really, really can and do. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I believe we're all, not only are we capable of great things, but I feel like we have an obligation to step into our greatness and share our greatness with the world. And, I, you know, I think that the world needs a whole lot more of what we all have to offer right now. And again, I just keep going back to, I think that so many of us are stuck. We don't know our purpose. We don't know our gifts. And and we we're might... taught to be humble. And that's what's on my, my website. Yeah. It says, how big are you willing to be? And yeah. people challenge me on that a lot. And they say, isn't that egotistical? And the answer is absolutely not. The day you agree to be the biggest version of yourself possible is the humblest day of your life. It's the first time that you agree to be responsible for growing your life the very best that you can, and now you're in service. Before that, no. Yeah, it's, and service is that magic word there, right? Because I think what happens is when we are open to all of our potential and we're willing to share that, what that looks like is service. And you said it, it could be tiny. It could be, hey, I'm going to bring joy into this otherwise joyless place. I'm going to we're not talking about necessarily what be world shaking events. You don't have to be a huge and you political don't leader. Never know to make, you've touched you never know the ripple it. effect. Yeah. You just yeah. don't. And and you know what's the most interesting piece of service is if you do something that's of service, how do you feel? Is it the stress yeah. hormones that come out or is it the other ones? It's not the stress hormones. No. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. All right. Well, I want to switch switch gears just a little bit, and not a whole lot, I suppose. But you talk about, and you had brought up Hellinger earlier, I think, but you have these three principles you talk about, and you come back to them quite frequently in your book, and this belonging, place and order, and this balance of give and receive. Do you want to talk a little bit about how those fit into the story we're telling here? Sure. So if you look at it, one of the reasons that we're so into being victims suffering, struggling, is because it allows us to belong. Hmm. The Me Too movements, all of these different movements, they're saying, Me Too, Me Too, Me Too. Yay! Now we've got a nice place that we can all be miserable together. And then, my favorite word, not, we can fight for something. Okay? You don't actually need to, but if you insist, I suppose, there are ways of elevating as opposed to fighting. We don't need to fight. So that's, and I know I'm going to get challenged on that, and I'm very happy to have that conversation. So that's belonging. Order. If you know in a family system, if you know where you belong, you also know how to belong. If you don't know where you belong, this can set off a whole number of patterns like, 
I'm the victim. I always have to be too small. I've always got to do everything. So I have to get too big. I've got to take care of mom and dad. I've got to be the strong one and get big. I had a challenging sibling. I've got to get too small because they need space. So that would be order. And by the way, you sometimes find this if you've got people who tend to be organizers or bossy, they're trying to put people in their place so that they can find where they belong. Hmm. So you've got belonging and order that, and they're very close together. And then balance of give and receive, which, which again is a short and long-term thing. I give, you receive. You give, I receive. If we keep building it, it builds a dynamic relationship. When one gives too much, it can destroy the relationship because the other feels too small and now they've got to go and find themselves somewhere else in their adulthood. So, but when one takes too much, it then gets to a stage where the other one goes, I'm done, I'm tapped out. So these feed into, into the system at all times. And in fact, any issue that you may have, any issue will resolve into one of those three. Those are your systemic principles. Now, the beauty of them is once you've identified which one's off, you now know what to bring back into perspective or into balance. So if, if I belong or don't belong, how do I belong? Or if I belong in a way that's not helpful, how do I belong in a way that's different? Now, a lot of people will say to me, yeah, but if I do that, I'm going to get excluded from the group. And, and the answer to that is no. You're simply going to walk slightly ahead of the group. And at some point, the group's going to go, that looks fun. They didn't get smoted on the back of their head with a piece of two by four. I'm going to try that. So you're simply expanding the system. That's what you're doing. And you're with, balance, system, yeah. Yeah, with balance of give and receive, sometimes we have to do a lot, but is the balance there? Am I being paid a lot for doing a lot? Am I loving a lot? And being loved enough, you just want to pay attention. But sometimes there's a long-term balance of give and receive. I may do something for you when I'm 10 years old. I did it because I did it. There were no strings attached. Suddenly I get to 30 years old. And in fact, I've seen this happen with a number of people. And I, it comes around again. And that person says, I'm in a position and I know you. How about I do this for you? And it feels magical. We set it in motion. So you want to really also, if you've got discretionary energy, you know what? Do those things. You have no idea what it's going to bring back to you, but you're sowing the seeds of manifestation, joy, love, enthusiasm, all of that good stuff. You're populating the planet really well. Populating the planet really well. I love the idea of sowing those seeds, tending that garden, and growing these these lovely things. Now, I want to I want to kind of wrap up here talking about you talk about treasure, you talk about treasure maps a lot in your book. I have a lot of fun with that. And talk a good bit about all these different DNAs. You have the relationship DNA, we have business relationship DNA, you have success DNA, money DNA, health DNA. Talk a little bit about these the treasure that's found in these different areas. I know we've kind of skirted around, around each it, yeah. one of them a little bit. Yeah. In each one of those, what we often see as train wrecks, hmm. if you look very carefully, it's going, you keep not growing. You keep not growing. And it pushes you. You know what? You don't want to look at your money. You don't want to look at your money. Okay, do you really want a train wreck? Let's do that. How are you feeling now? 
I saw something this morning with a lady on on one of the uh, morning programs as I was heading off to one of the the shows, and she'd been. She said, "My husband got ill, and I'm not the breadwinner." And she said, "My mind literally went. We have a train wreck now." And I looked in the cupboard and I pulled out cake mix, and I started baking because that's what I do when I'm I'm really stuck. And then I baked cupcakes. And somebody walked in and said, oh, we need some for whatever it was this morning. Can I buy those? And she listened. She now has a very large cupcake company. Mm-hmm. It's, it's listening. If we're open, if we, if we are willing to, in the middle of what looks like the biggest train wreck, do two things. Look for the gift, number one, because it is always there. There is never not a gift. And number two, ask yourself in the moment, what am I going to think right now, feel right now, and do right now? What am I going to choose? Because what I do is about to become my new truth. What do I want to mm-hmm. do here? And I had that with my mom. I walked in and the doctor said, she has cancer. And uh, no, happy birthday, she has cancer to her. And I can remember my my breath just it sucked the breath out of me. And I'll turn around and I walked out and I could feel the panic starting. You know that it's a it's a terrible panic. It's it's a sudden life is changing panic. And I walked outside and I, I can remember going, okay, what do I need to think right now? What do I need to feel right now? And what do I need to do right now? Because this is going to determine where I head next. I can become ill, I can become sucked up in this. I could drown. And then I think for me, I looked at my daughter and my nieces and I went, stop. They need you. There's a purpose and here's a purpose. My mom, by the way, is in really good shape. But it was that in that moment going, if you panic now, you've got to try and deal with all of the stress emotions as well as this. You are not going to be helpful to yourself or anyone around you, and you've now got to dig yourself out of that. What are you going to do differently? And I went, okay, I have niece and daughters over there. I'm not about to go down the same path and get ill. That means that if we have this in the family, I've now got to start doing scans. Got that. What action am I going to take? I'm walking back in and I'm saying to the doctor, what do we do now? So it was, it was writing myself in the moment. And we can do this. I had that test in one of the worst periods of my life. And by the way, the next day, Sounds True said to me, oh, we're going to pay you to write the book. And I went, I can't write the book with this happening. I'm now going to have to shuttle back and forth. Stop. And it was, do what you can do now. Write chapter one, send it off, do the scans, next step. And I still stepped myself out of it. Now, did I have panics in between for anybody who's listening? Of course I did. Hmm. Did I have fall downs and bruise my knees? Absolutely. But I remembered to keep getting up. And that's where I also tapped into the multi-generational nervous system. And they always said, pick yourself up, get on, take a step. And it was like, thank you, ancestors. I will take that with me. 
Yeah, that's that positive part of that emotional inheritance, right? That you're that you're tapping into. Absolutely. I think that it's it may sound counterintuitive, but the fact that you describe every problem, every trouble, every difficulty as there being a gift in that. Not that it is a gift, but there's a gift in it. Yes. And we're going back to that again. That's a pretty big reframe for a lot of people. Like you just said, hey, when you hear, for example, a horrible medical news, how in the world do you see that as a gift? And I, I think a lot of people miss the fact that we get to choose how we think, feel, and what we they do. They absolutely do. They must. Yeah. I've had two. I've had that one, and I've had my father who was killed in here in Texas. And somebody said to me, well, okay, got you. How is there a gift in that? And I said, so, so here's, here's my thinking. First of all, at some point he was going to die. Not, not for any other reason than we all die. At some point he was going to die. But his dying created a crisis. I had to put food on the table because he was the breadwinner when we moved over and we were nearly moved over. What it did was it said to me, figure things out. And it activated the figure it out gene for me. And it gave me this career because they failed me in every single section of my old career. I, I couldn't walk back into a hospital after that. And it was a very clear, you can't do that anymore. You have to do this now. So again, was it, oh, here's a gift with a pretty pink bow. No, no. But there was a gift, and I thank him for it. Mm. Yeah, that's right. that is a that's a very brave and vulnerable position to take, and I think a lot of us could, looking at our lives, going back to that whole victim mentality, it's it's very easy to say these horrible things have happened, and that's part of the the human condition, right? Suffering exists, and it will continue <laughs> as long as there are people, I suppose, and how we how we react to it is what we do have control over, right? And, and how we use it. And how we use it. Yeah. I think that's that's a critical piece there that a lot of people probably don't give a lot of thought to, right? It's just nope. setting. It's right. Get me out of here. Not right. for a moment. When yeah. you get to the other side of the trauma or the event, how often do you stop and say, I did this right. I did this right. I did hmm. this right. I could do this a bit differently. I did. We don't. No. It goes back to your vision board where you said, I have a vision board and then I have my done board or my yes, accomplishment board. My done and board. I, I, I love that idea of celebrating wins. You know, as a coach, one of the things we do is I tell my coaches, look, celebrate your clients' wins always. Even the teeny tiny ones. I mean, it's, it's a big deal, right? These people are making steps in this case, I'd say in health or in, in weight loss or whatever their goals are, right? Could not but, agree more. Could but not agree. To do that for ourselves to actually celebrate our own wins. I don't think enough of us do that often enough. I, I couldn't agree more. And it's the small steps. And, and, it's, mm. and it's learning that who you think you are may not be the case. I, I have a, a gentleman who, I wish he were listening, actually. He comes from Latin America. And he said to me, well, we don't get the very big jobs in, the, in, the, in this country, certainly. And besides which, I'm an introvert. And so that kills off the opportunity. And I said, whoa, those are two big statements. Why? My father yeah. told me that's why he didn't get his. And I said to him, that was your father. There's a very different mindset out there right now. And you're an introvert, which means you're wisdom. And sometimes you're the kindness or the carbonness that people look for. Well, he's now here. He's been here for about five or six days to take up a very big position. 
because he took the steps. Got to take those steps. Yeah. And, and I think it goes back to that, that, that self-love and that self-worth realizing being open to you're deserving of all good things. All you have to do is be open to it. And then you actually have to step into it. Yes. You have to first allow it. Second, take that active step to, to move towards it. And it doesn't have to be a giant step and it's okay to be afraid, right? I mean, I think fear is, is something that you just tell my kids, you can't be brave without being fearful first. And it's okay to be afraid, but to kind of lean into that and overcome that. Well, Judy, what, what's next for you? What's on the horizon? The, on the horizon at the moment, live event would be the Disney one. And for anybody who knows me, they know that's my favorite place on earth. And we're going to be doing Money DNA. So it's a live four-day intensive at Disney World. So what we do is we work really hard during the day and then we play really hard at night because I don't want you locked into victim and I don't want you locked into doubts. And so it's reframing your Money DNA. And by the way, this particular event is one that makes a lot of millionaires because they suddenly realize how they've kept themselves limited and how they can reframe it. So we have that. Next year, we'll have a, a good full schedule. I'm really looking at, I keep being asked to write a book, a book about victimhood because it's so not helpful. And then, of course, people can find me all over, YouTube, Spotify, Instagram, Facebook, on my website. And the big one, the big one is to actually move over from the, the size groups that I'm doing at the moment to move it over into doing really, really large groups so that lots of people at a time can understand they're pretty amazing and they're a remarkable life. They just have to know how to see it. Yeah, so I absolutely I love that. I think that's very empowering. And folks, I will drop all of Judy's social media, all her website, all of that information into the show notes. You guys can find that there. So, Judy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story with us, sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, your passion. I love the work you do. Folks, that book is called Decoding Your Emotional Blueprint, A Powerful Guide to Transformation Through Disentangling Multigenerational Patterns. Definitely recommend you guys go out and check that out. I'll have a link to that as well in the show notes. You guys can find that there. Judy, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I've had the best fun. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, that's our show for today, folks. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I want to let you know that we have other free resources over at silveredgefree.com. There you'll find our free guides with our top tips on nutrition, exercise, and healthy lifestyle to assist you in your weight loss and fitness journey. So feel free to head over there and download anything that looks useful to you. I'll put links to everything we talked about in the show notes, and you folks can find those over at silveredgefitness.com slash 210. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. One is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is for you YouTube folks to click the like and subscribe buttons and for you podcast folks to consider giving this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today and until next time, stay strong. <laughs>